everyone, and welcome to Reader's Digress, the podcast where we read nonfiction books so that you don't have to, unless you want to. My name is Kate. And I'm Molly. Are we not saying last names anymore? I don't know. I just feel like we don't have to anymore. No, people know us. We don't need to keep doing that. Um, we're basically famous. <laughs> we definitely are. Thank you for confirming. Um, hold on. Let me, let me spit this ice out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm a professional. So today we are talking about the book Little Weirds by actress, comedian, author, all-around wonderful woman, Jenny Slate. And it was a blast to read, so I'm really excited to tell you all about it. Woohoo! Oh, there was something I was going to ask you at the top. Oh, I remember. I was like, you have to ask this question. It can't be the question, but I... To set the baseline of our audience's expectations about how you and I individually experienced this book, okay, I need to know, did you cry? Oh, no, I did not. <laughs> oh, my God. I cried so many times. <laughs> um, I actually have a confession to make, which is that I didn't connect you with didn't this book it. at all. <clears throat> oh, my God, that's so incredible. I had a sense. I was like, I don't think Kate is going to... Not that you'd necessarily dislike it, but that you would not vibe with it. And I was, like, vibing with it. It will be real. I was actually excited to talk about it because I knew you would like it, though. Um, Because I did go and look at reviews of, like, Mm -hmm. okay, so you liked it. What did you like about it? As I was trying to try to like it. (laughs) And all the reviews were, like, she's just, like, a girl who, like, gets it. And I was like, gets what though? I don't get it. What am I not getting? I was just like so lost. I was like, this is extremely unhelpful. I don't know. This is, I don't know why you liked this book from that statement. Like this is the opposite of helpful. But on that note, I am looking forward to discussing this with you. So should I start with a summary? But actually before we get to that... I want to remind everybody, because I keep forgetting to do this, to please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review, suggest it to 10 million people, follow us on, (laughs) start an MLM, and then con them into listening to the podcast. Uh, Also, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are RDRS Digress. Yeah, didn't think the name through when we were having an audio format, (laughs) but in print, it makes sense. (laughs) It's a right. It's like Roger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is basically readers without the vowels. You get it. You get it. You get You're it. You're smart people. You're listening to a podcast about books. Okay. So I guess I can get to the actual summary now. This is the shortest summary I think I've ever done because of obvious reasons we'll get into. So this week we're talking about Little Weirds, Jenny Slate's memoir. Jenny Slate is a comedian most well known for her creation of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, a YouTube sensation that she later made into a children's book. Her acting roles on the TV show Parks and Rec and the movie of Obvious Child, and her recent stand-up special on Netflix, Stage Fright. This book defies categorization in a lot of ways, but I would describe it as a book of magical realism personal essays. Is that fair? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's good. I think that's that's what I landed on. Written in a dreamlike stream of consciousness style, she shares vignettes of her life about heartache, loneliness, and misogyny. These ethereal essays dip in and out of her dreams, her observations of the natural world, and her real life experiences. 
And that's all I've got. No, I think that was perfect. Succinct. We should also say this book is like just 200 pages. So it's kind of short too. Yeah, it's brief. Um, Okay. Do you want to start with a key takeaway? I'm so, I cannot wait to hear what did not work for you in this book. I'm, this is delightful. This is the first time we have felt like differently about a book, I think. So I have a very long lead up to this key takeaway. <laughs> okay. So I'm, oh, I'm, I'm so going to talk for like okay. 10 minutes. You lay it on okay. me, girlfriend. First, I want to okay. just say Jenny Slate is a very talented and charismatic performer, and I've been a fan of hers for a very long time, including from 2010 on, which was her Marcel the Shell with Shoes on Days. I cannot tell you how many times my group of friends from high school rewatched that video. <laughs> we knew every single line, and I kid you not, still <laughs> quote each other today. I also loved everything she's been in basically up until now. Uh, part of that will be in my pop culture pairing, so I won't spoil it. But I am saying that because I really, really wanted to like this book. But unfortunately, it just did not work for me at all. Mm -hmm. I liked about three or four of the essays and then felt the rest were lacking in any sort of meaningful takeaway. Okay. So many of the essays to me felt like they were empty and repetitive in a lot of areas. But my biggest issue is actually that it was too vague to be compelling. Mm, okay. So at the beginning of the book, and I'm cheating because I'm actually going to wrap a quote into my key takeaway. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love it. We break um, the rules because so, we make them. <laughs> okay. So in the very beginning of the book, she talks about the guidelines to reading this book and why she wrote the book. And she has a line where she says, my vulnerability is natural and permissible mm -hmm. and beautiful to me. And it should remind you of your responsibility to behave like a friend to me and the world. Which I thought was very sweet. And I'm keeping that in mind <laughs> as I say all of this. But my problem with the rest of the book okay. is that... If you're going to choose to be vulnerable with us, and she says that she will right here in the beginning of the book, then let's fucking get into it. Otherwise, just take yourself out of it completely and write a fiction book. Mm -hmm. And instead, she chooses this weird space of in-betweenness where it is a memoir, and she is sharing mm -hmm. the hard feelings of her experiences. But she abstracts everything that causes the feelings of heartbreak or joy or loneliness. So instead of feeling like I was being invited into this to share in these experiences, which is hyper important to me as a reader when I'm reading a memoir, mm -hmm. I felt alienated by her layers and layers yeah. of metaphor and then ultimately exhausted by the cloying, saccharine nature of the book. So this leads me to my actual key takeaway. <laughs> mm -hmm. My takeaway is that she wrote this book for herself, and I did not have to be here for this. <laughs> so that's, that's how I feel. And I, I really wanted to like it. I wanted mm -hmm. to be engaged. I was looking forward to being a part of this. But she gave me no ins. Yeah, yeah. I I actually completely agree with that critique. There she she is talking a lot in this book about her divorce 
and she only uses the word divorce one time. And I, I think she says ex-husband a couple of times, maybe once or something. Mm-hmm. But like, unless you knew, which I did know that going in, but unless you knew that, it would take you a while for it to occur to you that that's what she is wrestling through. And she doesn't come right out and say, like, my life fell apart because I married someone that I wasn't compatible with and then we got divorced and that broke my heart and I was dealing with all this grief. So I agree, like, she's doing it in a vague way that I think resonates with people who've been there, have, like, gone through a similar enough experience that they don't need her to spell it out to them. Not that you, like, need her to spell that out, but, like, I I think you're definitely right. This is not, like, a story for someone who's, like, trying to understand another person's experience because it's, like, you don't have an opportunity to. Yeah, I will also say that... I've read a lot of books about people who I don't share experiences with. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the main reasons I couldn't connect with her here is because she's not saying anything interesting to me. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to talk about loneliness and heartbreak and know that that's a communal experience. Mm -hmm. But it's another thing to do it in a really vague and repetitive way to where you're not saying anything new about Mm -hmm. loneliness Mm -hmm. or heartbreak, but you're also not injecting it with the uniqueness of your own story. Yeah. And so that's where it fell apart for me, because it's like you're not saying anything interesting or new or valuable to me as a reader. And so... Mm I need more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with the repetitiveness too. And then you said saccharine and that's a really good word. Like there were, there was a lot of times throughout the book that I was like, ugh, this is too much for me. Um, I, I really liked it because of it, it like touched a, a nerve in me that was, that's always been like a very deep feeler. And I can like appreciate that in the way she is expressing her experience. Mm-hmm. But I definitely felt turned off by some of her choice of expression. Um, it's like she'll go from doing something really beautiful and poetic and then get like really goofy and silly. And it's like, oof, can you stay in a vein here, please? Like, yeah, you were the- doing something so beautiful and now you're saying something so <laughs> stupid and I can't do that. Yeah, and I will say of the three or four essays that I enjoyed out of this book, mm-hmm. I loved them. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I'm so disappointed is because I wanted the whole book to be like those yeah. three or four essays that mm-hmm. I really loved. And to be clear, like in those three or four essays, she's not talking about experiences that I suddenly have experienced and I get. Yes. They're still her experiences. Mm-hmm. But she did it in a way that was so much more of the poetic aspect that you're talking about rather mm-hmm. than the just kind of like diary of a 13 year old girl way that she talks about a lot of things and she does talk a lot i mean Mm. i heard her voice as an actual person though pretty frequently in this like i think she is true to herself for better Mm -hmm. or worse so yeah yeah, i i completely agree though there was a lot that was like okay not on board with this uh don't know don't know why (laughs) you needed to add that in (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's funny because apologies to jenny odell but when we were reading (laughs) how uh to what is it how How to to do do nothing nothing. i did not like the introduction and then as i was reading came to really love the book yeah but for me this was the opposite like i started out and i was like oh this is so strong i'm so excited and then the more Mm -hmm. it went the more i was like oh you're not saying anything oh okay 
All right. Yeah. Well, this is less interesting to me now. But I also feel like Jenny Slate would be the best hang. And sorry, oh, Jenny, yeah. but you would be the worst. Yeah. I have no interest in hanging out with her. But for <laughs> Jenny Slate, I was like, would love to get brunch with this woman. Oh, my God. Like, would love yes. that. That is that is my key takeaway. So okay. I would love to hear yours. Uh-huh. I am curious if it's also a tirade like mine or if it's just a sentence like a normal person. <laughs> it, <laughs> that was a normal person key takeaway. Mine is not um, a coda, if you will. <laughs> it's just a, a statement. The thing that resonated with me the most about this book was how unashamed she was to talk about the depth and vividness of her feelings Mm -hmm. um even to the point of me not liking the way she did some of it Mm -hmm. and i think that um my takeaway was like get lost in your feelings because we are taught especially as women to be really ashamed of the way we feel things and how intense it can be Mm -hmm. and I think everyone feels feelings in a way that would turn someone else off of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And even knowing that she is still really open about the actual experience of her feelings, even when it's like cringy, there was like lots of moments where I was like, Oh my God, can you stop saying your little mouth? Like Jesus Christ, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. She describes herself as little tender yes, like small. little petite baby and i'm like life. okay we get, we get it. it you're yeah. small and too pure for those this world great yes. good for you don't relate but it was very baby fawn vibes like look at yeah. my doe eyes and my tiny little delicate hands and you're like we we got it your value rests in this the i get it you, of you your... can shop in the petite section yeah okay Ugh. i understand that was a part that I was like, oh, my God. But the other part of it that, like, is just a difference in the way that we see love. Oh, yeah. She is so obsessed with the idea of love. Mm-hmm. And that is not my experience at all. I've never been, like, a romance mm-hmm. novel reader. I've never mm-hmm. been somebody who sits down and watches Lifetime movies. It's just not who I am. Like, mm-hmm. the... The romantic part of that is lost mm-hmm. on me. Yeah. And we'll get to that a little later because I have a quote about it. But okay. it, I didn't connect with that. Mm-hmm. But this actually brings me to another reason. Um, I like your key takeaway. I okay, appreciate that's a very like clear reason why you enjoyed the book. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that as opposed to, she gets it, it, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Unhelpful. I get that. Um I will say that I have the perfect quote actually to go along with what you just said. Okay. There's a part in the book where she writes, my ex-husband says to me on the phone when they're talking, after I tell him that I am lonely and I think I'm weird around men, that I'm not weird, but that I'm trying to force an intimacy that needs time to grow. He is right and he knows me very well. So that quote right there to me also applied to me as the reader. I was like, mm. you're forcing intimacy onto me. And like, because oh. everything is so vague and you haven't mm. used any proper nouns. I don't know anybody's name. I don't know the situation yeah. of when you got divorced. Oh. I don't even know how many relationships you've had that you've been heartbroken over. Like you're forcing so many feelings wow. onto me. And uh-huh. I don't know the situation of what happened at all. Like, oh, I'm not getting it. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it was, and I think that's why I was exhausted by the end, because I was okay. like, this is so much feeling. And I, yeah. I, 
can't take uh-huh. it in because it was just like you had no framework to put it on right i was just like i don't even know what to do with mm. this that's so interesting that makes a lot of sense the way you're describing why you were frustrated and why it didn't work for you i think knowing your personality and i've although i've always thought of you as very pragmatic and obviously you are romantic too but i think we are romantic in different ways where i am much more like jenny slate where it's just like not Johnny odell we're not talking about her anymore <laughs> get out of here imposter um, Jenny. It's, it, yeah it's much more like in my mind fanciful and like imagination based and all these things that like it literally did not occur to me until this moment that she didn't use proper nouns that she didn't give me more details because my brain was just like building the framework from my own experiences and like i think it's just like a difference in our approach to yeah. life. Yeah, I would say that that's very true because like I am in love with my husband. I do totally. not experience our relationship nor have I ever experienced our relationship anywhere near what she talks about in this book. Like everything that she <laughs> says, I'm like, who is in love like that? What? Like who is in love in a way that has okay. Who is in love with somebody and has never realized that, oh, they're an actual person and they have faults and this is like... Me, again. Hi. (laughs) Her, Her way of talking about love feels so shallow because to me, love is so based in the vulnerability of loving one another for who they really are. So for you to tell me that you're in love with someone as she talks about that you don't even know. I'm like, you're not using mm-hmm. the word right. That's not, you're infatuated sure. with that person, maybe. You're you're super yeah. excited to have sex yeah. with them. I don't know what it is. But right. like, totally. to say you're in love, I'm like, I have been with my husband for a decade, would never use that framing or that term for someone that mm-hmm. I've known for five minutes. And she does. Yeah, like, And I, ha- I take issue with it because I'm like, I don't think that's what you mm-hmm. mean. Or if you do mean that, we have a very different definition. Yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. That's like, you can't possibly love someone that you've known for five minutes the way you love Chris. Like, there's absolutely no way. You haven't had the time to build the vulnerability and get to know them at all or experience anything together. So, so it's what, like, is it being no. in love or is it like, I'm obsessed and then you fall in love and you can't differentiate the feelings? Yeah. I don't know. Again, I would have known if she had explained any of this, but she literally never once got into it. So I don't know because she never addressed it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had, as you know, feelings that are very reminiscent of the way she's describing having Mm -hmm. feelings. And the way it has felt to me isn't so much that like, oh, I'm in love with this person now. And I obviously don't know anything about them. But it, it feels like a future self telling you something that they are certain of in the future that you somehow gain the knowledge that they have in the future. It's like made up magic bullshit. But like that's how it feels where it's like some different future version of me who knows more than I do in this moment is giving me this like certainty about this person in front of me that I couldn't possibly have in this moment on my See, own. See, I don't call that being in love. I call that trusting yourself. That's not about Mm -hmm. the other person. That's about you listening to like, oh, I feel good when I'm around this person. And so I'm going to be around this person more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. more about like 
you listening to your gut versus like totally i'm definitely in love with this person i don't know yeah just like the way that she talks about it uh i should have pulled a quote that would be a good example but i don't think i have any i have one about dating that's fun okay since it kind of relates um okay let me find it so as you know kate i have some experience with online dating um much of it i'll preface this by saying it is what you make of it when I was online dating and I would see like things about uh, on social media or wherever, where people were like, Oh my God, it's abysmal. It's a, it's a hellhole out here. It's a, it's a nightmare. It was always really demoralizing. So I don't want to like fully lead with that. Although I definitely had abysmal experiences. <laughs> yeah. I think that's totally fair. Uh, yeah. But it is what you make of it. It can be really fun. You can meet really cool people. One of my good friends here has met her partner who is, the raddest doing that like it's totally possible so go all in i say but she has this paragraph that oh my god amazing uh she says i am told that i should try to online date my reaction to this is that i want to walk away so forcefully that i don't even pause to open the door i just go through the wall (laughs) i will never ever go into the internet to look for anything that i feel that i really need except for turtlenecks and sheets and candles and even then i will do that in a very small circle of places that i know have exactly what i want but i want to fall in love so i'll give it an earnest try and i was just like oh god isn't that the truth <laughs> like god forbid i have to like go online to order anything that's not something i already know exactly what it will be when it arrives <laughs> and yet here i am heart in my hands like hi being earnest on a bio and oh, god, <laughs> <fucking> nightmare <laughs> uh yes i do appreciate that passage because it's funny. Uh, there's a lot of the book that's not funny, which is <laughs> fine if that's the book she wanted to write. But you are a comedian, and so mm-hmm. most people who are reading your book are going to expect that it be mostly funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk about a quote that made me laugh. Okay, so this essay is called Important Questions. It starts out, I'm humble enough to admit that I don't know everything, and I'm secure enough to ask questions. Examples. How can I shrink enough to be small enough to respectably ride a lamb or a dash hound? <laughs> what happens if I put a spell on a tiny piece of paper, put that into a nectarine, and bury it? And it just keeps going and going. But the, that sort of weirdness, that is strange sense of humor really works for me which is why I love her as a comedian and I thought that was great like I loved that I wish Mm -hmm. there was more of that kind of offbeat humor throughout the book but unfortunately this was like just a Mm one-off chapter and then she got back to talking about like baby rabbits and heartbreak and I was like okay (laughs) (laughs) baby rabbits and heartbreak that's a good way of describing it it's funny, though, that you bring that chapter up, though, because I started it, I got probably four or five questions deep, and then I skimmed the rest of it, and I was like, no, Really? Not yeah. Like, couldn't be bothered. I honestly, <laughs> like, if you're going to throw creative writing bullshit at me, that's what I want. I want it to mm-hmm. be weird. I want it to be yeah. surreal. I want it to make me confused. Mm-hmm. I'm a David Lynch mm-hmm. fan, so I don't, you know, yeah. like, I don't have a problem with reading stuff that's offbeat and confusing, mm-hmm. but... Right. I don't I don't want stuff that doesn't mean a whole lot or just feels kind of empty. Like that's Yeah, yeah. Meh. 
Yeah, I, I, I can see how this would feel like like a pillowcase without a pillow in it. She's very much like <laughs> doing gauzy, wispy waif things and not like giving it any body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think in in some ways she's like relying on the reader to like fill that in for themselves, which is like not the reader's responsibility at all. And it just clearly works for some people and then like doesn't for others. Yeah, clearly the people so. who get it uh feel fine about it but i am not one of those people (laughs) it's so funny how salty you are you're just like this is trash (laughs) honestly i'm only salty because the reviews i read did not give me any reason why they liked it Mm. and i hate when Mm -hmm. people do that they're like this is the best thing ever invented and you're like why and they're like um because it is it's like, well, what? What? Because I loved it. Yeah. And you're like, well, why did you It's like, you well, love tell it? me why. What What was, what drew yeah. you in? You know? So anyway, I'm I'm salty about the reviewers. I'm not so salty about yeah. just not having connected with this book. Because whatever, right. I that mean, happens. Yeah. But the reviewers that are yes. like, if you don't get it, then you're not in. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess I'm just uncool. I don't know. Did you feel like you were not being invited into an experience like as if you were standing on the outside of a party that everyone else was having or was it more that there was no party at all and she was like in a room alone oh definitely that she was in a room alone so like when i say i wrote that she wrote this for herself it really did feel like she wrote passages in a journal that she published like i don't I really don't. I mean, I think she's thrilled to have people that connected with it. But I think had she wrote this yeah. book and published it and no one connected with it, she wouldn't have cared. And that's yeah. fine. She has a lot of things that she's very talented at. And I think that she likes to branch out and grow in her career in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways. Mm-hmm. So there might have been a lot of different reasons and motivations for her writing this book. But do I think that one of her motivations was to connect with other people. Not really. Yeah. I actually think that's astute because astute observation. Indubitably. Um, (laughs) I think a theme that is throughout many of the essays in the book is this idea that I don't care if you don't like this Mm -hmm. or I don't care if you think this is weird. Um, I think, Jenny Slate is probably someone who many times in her life has been told that like people don't get her and she doesn't belong and like she's not wanted. And I feel like this book was written in defiance of that. And as a way to prove to herself that it doesn't matter if no one else gets it, she can get it for herself Mm -hmm. and be her own witness to it. So I completely agree with that concept that like she did write this for herself and either you connect with it because you've gone through enough of a similar thing that she has that you're like, yeah. And you feel it all in the same way or you don't. And if you don't, then like, yeah, she didn't give you any entry point to be in it with her. Yeah. I also think that even for people who have gone through similar experiences, it's not a given that you would connect with us because she talks about heartbreak in a very specific way. And it's a very romantic Mm -hmm. way. Like we've mentioned and not mm-hmm. everybody who's gotten a divorce feels like that. A lot of people feel happy yeah, totally. and that, that's fine. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people feel like, yeah. oh, God, that's over and I'm moving on. Whatever. I don't know. But like, right. you know, not yeah. everybody feels the way she felt specifically. And so I think mm-hmm. like 
that also seems like an experience that is maybe not even shared or unanimous, mm-hmm. I should say, among people who have similar yeah. experiences. I would agree. Like, and even if your divorce was bad and you felt bad about it, everyone experiences their grief differently. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you you might not be someone who's like a tiny mouse in a teacup about it. You know? <laughs> a very small baby snail. <laughs> a float. Slithering adrift along in the world. A fur like a paper bag. I mean, I don't know. In a bathtub. I don't know. Yeah. Congrats on your no, smallness, Jenny Slate. <laughs> it did come up a lot. I was like, whoa, girl, we get it. You are tiny. Um, I'm going to read a quote that I thought, I think probably did resonate with you simply because we've talked about this joke so many times. Um, it's towards the end. And in this final chapter, she's doing a thing where she's describing hearing her own voice and connecting with it in a really strong way that kind of led her to this place of just being like living for herself finally mm-hmm. and and knowing that she already has what she needs inside of herself which i think is definitely a progression of herself as an like through the course of this book she went from at the beginning being like i exist for your consumption to being like i exist mm-hmm. for my own self and purposes so there's like a bit of an arc that she's doing and she says, uh, I have been living by the new creed, this like new voice that I can hear. I'm trying to say what changed. I was at the end of a long wander of a long time of separation. I thought the separation was one from other people. But of course, the call was coming from inside the house, as they say. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. How many times do I make that joke? Love it. I've watched too many horror movies. It's, it's so, it's so perfectly it's applicable when someone says that. Yeah, it's all they need to say. And you're like, I know exactly what you mean. The call was coming from inside the house. Uh, Yes. Have a quote about, like, her thoughts on how she perceives love that I want to read because we, we just kind of talked about it. Okay. So in the second to last mm-hmm. chapter, I believe, or one of the last 30 pages of the book, she has a chapter called mm-hmm. I Died Bronze okay. Tree. And one of the things that she does throughout the book is she mm-hmm. has a chapter where she says, I died, and then a parenthetical phrase. I did not get that, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I did not understand what she was like metaphorically talking about every time she was like, I died. And I was like, I took it what to mean, and I don't even know if this is accurate. I took it to mean that a piece of her felt dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something. So in this last chapter, she's talking about her imagining this perfect love that she's never had, but that she mm-hmm. will experience someday. And she's writing about how she's imagining her and her husband. And so I'm going to read a little paragraph and then I'm going to skip ahead and read another one. Mm -hmm. So she writes, okay, we looked old, but it was only a sort of drapery that life asked us to hold. We obliged, but underneath we were still orange soda and Seinfeld TV and ping pong. I whispered with my frail old smile, smash into me asshole. And you said right back, you wish 
I died after I lived my life with you because that was the story. And that was the story that happened. And it was the only one. And so it was what I knew when I died. Closed looped. And then I'm skipping ahead. And then she says, I died. I died and what was left of you was already there with our bronze tree. An extension of you waiting for me in the airport with flowers. We put your remains under its big trunk in a bronze cast of a small egg. I died and they put my ashes in another egg. My ashes were buried in the earth into a lovely object next to your ashes in a lovely object. And we were treasures at the end of our lives at the root of our art. Okay. <laughs> I read that and I was just like, okay, so you want me to get into your feelings about something that has not happened and you have no actual basis for it. Like, it's not even imagination because you're, you're calling on me to really feel the loveliness of this romantic relationship. But I don't feel that because this is not a real relationship and there's nothing for me to connect it to a real partnership because you haven't given me enough information for me to care about this fictitious romance. So this is just completely lost on me. I'm like, okay, so you're like, you're asking me to step into this space to have feelings just to have feelings? That feels manipulative and empty to me. Okay. Oh, this is so fascinating because like I, that wasn't my favorite essay. There was like, there was a sappiness to it that I was like, okay. I also don't get why there were eggs. Like, what does that have to do with a tree? <laughs> seeds, you know, like right? Apples, seeds. I guess. It, I just was like, an shaped. egg? I don't know. Yeah. Like an egg didn't make sense. Right. And, and yeah, like in that first paragraph, you paragraph you read she's like i died and that was a story and that's how it went and that's how, how i died and it was like what just it's what so many saying? words like just say it to thing. say nothing at all you're not saying anything yeah she did that a lot she would say a lot very little in many many words and that was frustrating but i i actually resonated with this i think what she's doing conceptually which i mean it's something that i've done many times which is a form of self-soothing especially when i've been like especially lonely I have imagined like what it would be like to be with someone who I felt connected to and that, mm -hmm. that it worked out the way I hoped it would. And I don't know that I've gotten quite that detailed, but I've definitely imagined and like, definitely there were no bronze <laughs> trees with eggs. Okay. Um, but I've definitely like gotten through heartache by imagining a better time in the future and my life with someone imaginary. So, mm -hmm. I understood what she was doing and it resonated with me in that way because yeah, like I've literally done that. So it didn't feel empty because it felt like a really useful tool that humans have to survive being alone, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people cope that way, mm -hmm. but again, do I need to be here for this? Totally. Yeah, for sure. No, like, okay, <laughs> you do you. What, whatever helps you feel better about mm. your lost romantic relationship, which yeah. like, as we know, again, like, if you don't have a certain emotional connection in your life and you wish that you did, that's really painful. painful and so you're yeah. going to think about it a lot mm -hmm. and that's fine. But like, yeah. do I need to be here for yourself soothing that's n not actually anything that's of substance or help to anyone else right probably not yeah like, 
I do understand not connecting with it. Um, I definitely did. And I felt like what she was doing, even though somehow she went about doing it, wasn't my favorite. The actual idea itself felt cathartic. Like, knowing that someone else has, like, lived through that experience as vividly as I have. And it's embarrassing to admit that you've, like, gotten that far deep into your imagination to be, like, to soothe yourself. Like, that you're that upset and sad and lonely that you would, like, need to create this entire fantasy land is embarrassing. I don't actually think it... Like, it may feel embarrassing, but I don't think... I'm not trying to say it's embarrassing. I just feel like it's not... For me, like, you know, it doesn't feel like I should be here for this either. Like, it feels Mm -hmm, like that's mm -hmm. something that you're doing for yourself. And I'm invading by being here Mm, and witnessing this thing that, that, again, because you're forcing this vulnerability and intimacy on me and Mm -hmm. I don't know you, I feel like I'm invading this this beautiful thing that you've created for yourself that really helps you totally. get through this this grief. And like who am I to take that away from you? You you do whatever you want to do. Yeah. But again, like I don't feel like I need to be reading it or that I should even be reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I I completely get that because she hasn't allowed you to get to know her or the imaginary character that she's created in a way that would make you feel like you could be intimate with the story because she's it's coming directly out of her own mind and she's starting in a place like in the middle and we're at the end technically (laughs) and then not giving you like any you know yeah and then she's like not giving you any substance of the characters at all beyond her own like clear deep love for them but it's like as you're saying you already know that that love is imaginary because this isn't real and so it's like i can imagine that being really difficult to get into and be like connecting yeah with. i don't know but i think like mm-hmm. again like if that's if that's something that helps you personally i don't think it's embarrassing at all like that's what i don't know that's your process and your your way of thinking yeah. you know what i mean and that's perfectly fine i don't think it's embarrassing like oh you should be embarrassed about it i think it's embarrassing like society is inclined mm-hmm. to say that yeah. that's embarrassing and so i found it that's kind of what I was saying at the top that like, I think this is a really cool example of how you shouldn't be embarrassed of Mm -hmm. how deep your feelings are and how like far you can follow that thread. Um, And that the fact that she put it in a book is like evidence for other people to be like, I do that. And I, I think that that is comforting to people who might be really embarrassed or ashamed of that process. Yeah. I mean, I think if I were to come up with a thesis for the book, it would be, envelop yourself in your own vulnerability because I think while this isn't written for you the reader I think she's encouraging you to maybe as you're saying use the same techniques or to think about like how imagination can help you cope with similar things like grief or heartbreak or loneliness I was wondering throughout the book too like she describes some of these things as if they are happening while other things are happening. Mm -hmm. Like she's with friends or she's at a dinner or she's at her sister's wedding. And I wondered like, is it really happening like that where you are just basically like a ghost walking through your life and you're having this wild experience inside yourself and other people are just like, Oh, she's gone again. (laughs) Or is this kind of, you are like writing it after the fact and you're reimagining it in that way where like now that you've processed the event, it's occurring to you that, this is an experience that 
resonates or whatever yeah. now and you're layering it over the event but i'm like oof i wonder how this is actually like shaking out oh i was just gonna say i think that's a really good point and uh i think it's the first one and it reminds me of <laughs> not that she's oh, like a boy. ghost but that she literally does kind of disappear into her mind uh, it reminds me of Fleabag, the TV show that's on HBO throughout the entire first season. And I promise I will not go into a diatribe about Fleabag, even though I loved it. Uh, so <laughs> in the entire first season, the title character does this thing where she turns and breaks the fourth wall. So she'll turn and draw, talk directly to you as the audience. And then in the second season, she meets this priest who, as you, if you're on the internet, you know, he was the hot priest. And he starts to listen to her, and he starts to find an access way into her thoughts. And there's this moment when they're sitting on the bench, and the scene is just brilliant. She turns to talk to you as the audience, which is her way of saying, like, I'm in my own thoughts now. And he also turns and mm -hmm. stares at the audience. And then he looks back to her and says, where are you going? And she says, hey, what? And she snaps mm -hmm. back and it's back into the scene. And it's a way of recognizing that yeah. she didn't realize that she was daydreaming and losing herself in her own mind until someone else cared enough yeah. to recognize that and to break into that daydream. Mm -hmm. And I kind of imagine that that's mm -hmm. Jenny Slate's life, that she just kind of disappears into her thoughts mm -hmm. and, and you kind of have to work to get her out of that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, not to diagnose her, but it that's a way that she's, like, coping with trauma. She's, like, disassociating, essentially. And you can, I think you can tell that throughout the book. It's like, she's so overwhelmed with the intensity of her feelings that the only way she knows how to cope mm -hmm. with it is to disassociate and do this, like, weird nature party <laughs> thing where she's like, imagine the dew drops on the fur of the padded bun bun. If I have to. I mean, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as someone who's like had moments of being that overwhelmed that I've like def and and having a similar kind of emotional experience that she has clearly, um, I've also been like it it used to happen to me at this like horrible job I had. I would like disassociate for like a second or two and like think about Paris, which was like a very common coping skill of mine at the time, and it was like a wrenching feeling of like I would feel myself leave my body and then when I came back into it, it was like you were suddenly so much heavier. And so I I wonder if it was kind of that's like what she's yeah. happening to her. She also describes this moment on being on an airplane and having like a ton of emotion on an airplane. And I was like, I do not know what it is about planes. But girl, every single time I'm in the air, the water works. <laughs> Begin. Okay, that one was relatable. <laughs> I think it really uh, was an NPR. I think This American Life did a story on it that like... That people are more likely to yes, cry at did. like movies on an airplane than they are to cry mm -hmm. on the ground. <laughs> and it has something to do with the like changes in air pressure. It's like you're watching like Bad Santa too and you're crying and it's like <laughs> Okay. It's a little oh, much. Oh god. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Um do you have do you want to do questions? Yes, that sounds great. Okay. So as we talk about, she talks often throughout the book about dying death uh 
things being haunted. She grew up in a haunted house, which she also dresses in her uh, Netflix special. So my question for you is, have you ever lived anywhere haunted? Um, no. I Not that I know of. I know that you <laughs> have, which I want to talk about. Um, I have not to my knowledge and I do not ever, ever, ever want that to happen because I do believe in like a spirit, well, kind of whatever, yeah. ghost spirits, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Like I definitely, too many people have had the experiences for us to discount that and I never want to have one. Yeah. Like that. Uh, I just think it's so interesting. She talks about, she grew up, um, on the East coast in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. I want to say. Massachusetts. <laughs> Uh, and she grew up in like a really old house. And so she talks about being in an old house and how things are always creaking. And she's all but, uh, convinced that every time she hears anything that it's a ghost. And I can definitely relate to that. And, uh, I grew up in a house that was built in 1860s, I think, uh, Okay. Maybe a no, little bit. I don't know. My mom listens to this podcast, so I'll correct it on the next one if I'm wrong. But uh, we built okay. onto our house when I was about 12, and we never saw ghosts before then, mm-hmm. but we're convinced that because we disrupted oh. the ground next to our house that um, mm. there were people buried there. My brother, oh, wow. his friend, several of us had seen a girl dressed in a long white Victorian nightgown. Oh, ew. What what was it like? Was it like, um, was she see-through-ish or uh, like solid? No, she was solid. Like an actual like girl Ugh, standing there. That, yeah, cool. I remember one girl. time she was at the foot of my bed and I thought I was dreaming, but like, ew. it wasn't a dream. <laughs> no. And, uh, oh my God. I mean, I don't, I, she's also knocked over our Christmas tree before. Several times. That's what I was uh, She also would, like, slam doors, turn off lights. Like, things that, like, cannot mm. be explained by gravity. Like, things that, like, no, yeah. the Christmas tree was 100% stable, and now it's completely on the ground. And it's a big Christmas tree, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Weird stuff. Um, When she was at the foot of your bed, did she, like, disappear? Or... Did you close yeah, your eyes and then yeah. she was like, gone? Yeah, like I closed my eyes and then she was gone. I didn't see her disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That's what I always wonder about with like ghost things. It's It feels like that's so commonly like what happens is like the person closes their eyes or looks away and then it's it's like, how do they fucking know to disappear then? Like yeah. what is happening? But also, and it's then you're so like, wild. oh, well, I just didn't see that. And it's like, wait, no, I did. <laughs> One time my brother was climbing the stairs and he looked up as he was climbing the stairs and she was at the top of the landing. And then he like kind of backed up and like blinked a couple times and then she was gone. Yeah. Well, cause I think most commonly the experience would be you're startled. Right. And in that moment of being like, Whoa, what the fuck you, you would look away or you blink or something would be enough that there's a space where she could like disappear without you watching her. Right. Fucking disappear, like maybe she walked know? into a wall. Would, I don't like, know. Probably good, it would be cause... interesting to know. I don't think she's Ugh. like, I think she just doesn't like it when we light up the basement. And so that's what... Because she's like, I live Mm. here, bitch. Mm -hmm. Can you stop Mm -hmm. turning on the Christmas lights? (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Uh, Well, my question isn't as fun, unfortunately. (laughs) But I was curious. 
Um, what was your favorite essay? Because I know you said you liked some. So yes, which was the one you uh, liked the most? So I did really like Letter Dreams, which is her writing a letter mm-hmm. to herself about her dreams. It's signed Concer- mm-hmm. Sincerely the Committee for Evening Experiences, which I found to be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, and basically the essay is like, can you get it together? This is insane. <laughs> yes, like each one is like, wait what like her basically her body is like yeah this this can't happen you can't be doing this yeah you can't like one of the dreams dreams was just her in line for a sandwich and they were like this is the most boring dream that has ever graced our desks or whatever it was which i thought was hilarious uh i also won't be able to find the name of it but there is one that is oh here actually i did find it Uh, There was an essay called I Died Listening, and she's talking about, it's her in discussion with some man. I assume that they were dating at the time, and how he's going on and on and on about how he gets it, which is like misogyny, and he, he gets sexism. And then the whole time, she's saying like, oh, great. Great. And she can't get a word in edgewise and he's not understanding that by not even closing his mouth for a single second to listen to her, that he is doing the sexism right then. <laughs> yes. I, I actually, while you were talking, opened to a quote that I pulled from that chapter because it was like, one of the things she talks about is that he says he gets that men need to listen and then he won't uh... shut the fuck up for a second <laughs> And I was like, what woman alive hasn't been there, you know? Honestly. Um, but I love this line that she said, which is, I was distracted or not listening, and the man was already so strangely angry, even though I was the one falling to pieces, and everything he was saying was in favor of keeping himself together and also never changing. And I was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> and also that, never changing. <laughs> yes. I was like, yep, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. That sounds like you nailed it. And so with ones like that, I was like, okay, I, I've i never, like, had this conversation. Like, I don't have a mm-hmm. memory of something like this specifically happening to me. But I was like, I get what you're saying. Here. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. it felt really real and like mm-hmm. this had happened to her. And so I was really Mm -hmm. engaged in this one too Mm -hmm. yeah even though it wasn't like the the funniest chapter or whatever yeah yeah and she was using that like i died trope that it it made more sense in that chapter yeah but was still difficult to follow sometimes yeah still not not quite getting it i don't know yeah exactly but in a way that I was like acceptable to me, where I was like, I don't have to completely understand this to get what you're doing here. Right, I'm getting it enough mm-hmm. to to feel like I'm still engaged by this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Should we go into our rating? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go first? I want to hear yours first because I might want to change mine. <laughs> no, you can. You keep yours exactly the way it was. Um, mine is done with the same flair and um inclination towards sweet candy that she seems to have in this book um and although this wasn't like my favorite book ever i rated it one million swedish fish Mm, swedish fish (laughs) are a good gummy candy yeah Uh, because i really enjoyed it and i felt like the hyperbole and the like sweet nature of the chewy candy was very um 
Well-deserved. And as a diabetic, I must say, it did feel like I ate one million Swedish fish after I had finished this book. But just to say, I had a headache and I needed to lay down. And I had to go to the doctor. Uh, My rating is two and a half ghosts. I did like that she was going in and out of the spirit realm. I appreciated Mm -hmm. that. I thought it was fun and interesting. Uh, I just wish there was more of it. Yeah, yeah. But more yeah. of the the stuff that you were, like, the dreams and the... Yeah, I wanted more... Honestly, I wanted it to be weirder. Like, I wanted more of the weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think it could have stood to have some more of that. Like, she definitely uses two voices, where it's, like, there's the one that's, like, very, like, dreamlike, and then the other that's, like, her comedian voice, which is much tighter, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, I have... Two pop culture pairings. One is if you are looking to find something by Jenny Slate that's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, This, I'm not kidding when I say this clip from The Kroll Show, which was a sketch TV show that was only on Comedy Central, I think, for like two years, got me through college. (laughs) (laughs) I probably watched this clip like, a million times. So, I, as I mentioned, it's a clip from The Kroll Show. Nick Kroll is the person who founded the show. He acts on all of the sketches. Uh, if you have seen Big Mouth, he's essentially playing the character mm-hmm. of Lola. And they do a sketch called Publicity, which is uh, <laughs> two women, one played by Nick Kroll, one played by Jenny Slate, <laughs> spoofing a reality TV show where they have a publicist firm. And it is just so funny. I will never get over how funny it is. Every time I see it, no matter how bad of a mood I am in, I will laugh. It's perfect. The way they and they talk just so obnoxiously, and that's yes, a part of it. Yes. And the other part of it is that like her mm-hmm. counterpart, who's in a blonde wig, is Nick Kroll, and <laughs> it's yeah, just it's so, so good. Funny. Uh, it's so so good. if you're looking for more of Jenny uh, Slate, yeah. that is what I recommend. If you are looking for a book mm-hmm. that is more surrealist and strange and touches on topics like heartache and loneliness and desire. I would recommend one of my favorite books. It's called Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. I would read a grocery list if Carmen Maria Machado wrote it. I love her. Uh, I tore through that book. It was a library book. And then I went out and bought it. It's so good. It deals with loneliness and relationships and does it all under a very surrealist Mm -hmm. lens. And I couldn't put it down. I loved it. Nice. I've actually heard good things about that, too, oh although gosh. I haven't read it. It's so good. It's great. I might read it again after we get off this call. I'm going to start um, it again. <laughs> yeah, okay. I I actually have... I was only going to do one, but yours made me think of another, so yes. I'll do the same format. Like, if you want more of Jenny Slate, you should watch this Seth Meyers clip of him interviewing her about a time when she was in college in New York and she confused an astronomy class. Oh, she thought she was going to take an astrology class <laughs> and it was an astronomy class. And then she had to go through this whole class and be participating in something that was very different from what she had expected. And she goes one night when she's extremely high 
and the story so she tells is good. so funny. Oh it, yeah, like it is so so hysterical. So that is um, if you search Seth My- Seth Meyers Jenny Slate, it'll come up on YouTube. But the other, um, if you want an essay that's more about like divorce or a, a big relationship ending and um, kind of the grief process, which is definitely something she's attempting to do here, it's I maybe I said book. It's not a book at all. Um, it's a <laughs> uh, essay in the Paris Review called The Crane Wife. And have I read that? It was so good. I may have sent it to you. It sounds so familiar. That essay will, I will never stop thinking about it. In that essay, she has this section where she is describing that feeling of realizing that you haven't even dared to hope for the thing you actually want and settled for hoping Mm. for something less than because you don't think you'll get it. And it's an amazing way that we self-sabotage because it's like, it's your own imagination and hopes. You can literally hope for whatever you want and you're like scaling it back out of a self-protective thing. And it's the way she talks about it is so vivid and beautiful. It it, it's, it's what Jenny could have done and and didn't for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that this book could have been, but I do want to be clear that I think she wrote the book, she wanted and she was very authentic and true to herself and earnest and so even though I didn't connect with it I'm glad she wrote it and I'm glad that she wrote the book she wanted to make because that's Mm -hmm. important too yeah it is and and I resonated with it enough that I definitely think it's worth reading if you if you listen to this podcast and you are inclined more to the way I've described my feelings than Kate's you are likely to enjoy it for a number of reasons so wait you never told me which one did you cry at uh i cried at several oh, okay. um, not like on every page the way i did for Brene brown's book um <laughs> hilarious but the the one i liked the most was called geranium and it's actually the reason i liked it so much was because it reminded me of the crane wife where she is describing being with friends in Norway and saying that she really wishes geraniums could be inside flowers and that I guess that's not even possible or something. You know, she kind of dismisses the idea as too wild. Mm -hmm. And then they get to this castle and they walk in and every fucking window is covered in geraniums. And she was just like, oh, so I can just have everything I want then? (laughs) And (laughs) it really reminded me of that idea that we like, accept what society has told us or we have told ourselves is all we can have mm-hmm. and forget that like we can ask for a lot more than we ever do yeah yeah i like that i will have to read the crane wife if i haven't oh, already so but good. it sounds so familiar so i have it's to so imagine good. i've heard of it probably in another it. <laughs> context as well yeah maybe it's maybe really yeah maybe you did send it to me i don't, honestly don't remember but I definitely sent it. I remember I sent it to my dad um, and I probably did. I first read it the summer of 2019. Um, Yeah, it's it's fabulous. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it then. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's what I've got for Jenny Slate's (laughs) little weirds. (laughs) Uh, Make sure to, again, follow us on Reader's Digress, All Vows Removed in Reader's. We're going to have to come up with a better way of saying this. (laughs) Uh, And also subscribe and uh, Mm -hmm. email blast list to everyone on your MailChimp list, please. That's 
<laughs> we know you've all got them. Right. Fire You're off millennials. On ye old MailChimp. <laughs> From your nonprofit job, <laughs> just slip that in in between campaigns. No one will even notice, Yuck. but they will. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing it. it at my own job. <laughs> uh, all right, well, Mala oh and I have God. to go find new jobs since we've inevitably gotten fired just now. <laughs> truly, yeah. <laughs> so tune in again next time for more of our bullshit.